Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You can now support Ghost Maps on Patreon. Simply look for We Are Huntu or click the link in the description. Ghost Maps Entry 80 Hill Street, Singapore John is not my interviewee's real name. Using an alias was actually his one condition for meeting me this evening at a coffee shop in Tanjung Paga. He explains that this was important to him because of when and where his story is set. The old Hill Street Police Station has served several purposes since it opened its doors in 1934. John worked there in the early 2000s, around the time it first assumed its role as the headquarters for a government ministry. He left more than a decade ago, though, and has since had stints at privately owned events companies instead. Right from the start, though, I knew this line of work was what I wanted to do. He tells me. Events can be, and usually are, chaotic. I enjoy bringing enough order to make that chaos fun. He adds, with a smile. But as much as he loves this industry on a whole, John's own sense of purpose wasn't always as clear. When he had first joined the ministry, the greater cultural mindset was very old-fashioned. It wasn't just in his workplace. Everyone he knew understood that you worked long hours not out of the love for what you do, but because That was what was expected of you. You stayed in late or went to the office on weekends. Because if you didn't, everyone else would treat you like you were slacking off, he says. And when you're starting out, that can make things really tough for you. He knows this way of thinking is still very much the norm among a lot of people today. But he's glad to see It's changing slowly, especially among the younger crowd. That said, however, it was this need to work at ungodly hours that resulted in John's incident. As our drinks arrive, copy for me, a teo for him, I switch my recorder on and ask him to start from the beginning. John had heard stories about the building from the day he joined. Lots of insinuation and second-hand accounts from colleagues about sightings 
and encounters. He was told that even though precautions were taken to keep the building safe from the supernatural, it was still prone to the unexplained. John, however, mostly took all of these with a grain of salt. The office culture equivalent of hazing the new kid, he figured. Still, he couldn't help but feel the weight of working in a building that had been around for as long as it had. No matter what the sign outside says though, or how fresh its coat of paint is, an old building will always carry with it its um, history, John says, solemnly. His office's long, narrow corridors certainly didn't help, particularly late at night and on weekends, when he was sometimes one of the very few people in the building. Most of us were seated in cubicles with tall partitions, so as you walked down the corridors, you really couldn't tell if there was anyone else there, he explains. It wasn't scary per se, but just very creepy, if that makes any sense. It was this sense of creepiness that filled him as he drove into his office's car park at midnight on one particular Saturday. I had just finished watching a movie with a couple of friends, John tells me. And I had an event early the next day, so I went in to check my emails, in case there were any last-minute changes. This was the early 2000s after all. It's not like I could read my emails off my phone. He adds with a chuckle. Up till this point, John had only worked late on weeknights and had never been the last person to leave the office. So, the emptiness of the building seemed almost imposing. He knew that there were security guards stationed elsewhere on the grounds, which gave him some comfort, but not enough to make him feel like he was welcome in the building at that hour. John took the lift from the car park up to his level. Once he stepped out of the lift, he turned left towards his workstation. Thankfully, his seat wasn't all the way at the end of that long, narrow corridor, but about a third of the way. Nevertheless, he made a conscious effort not to look at any of the other cubicles worried that his mind would play tricks on him. Or worse, that he might actually see something. When he reached his cubicle, John switched his radio on and blasted it louder than he normally would. He then switched his PC on and as he normally did every day, 
he headed to the restroom while the computer booted up. I can't remember what was playing on the radio, but it was a catchy pop song, John recalls. It helped me calm down a little more, so I sang along to it loudly on the way to the toilets. The entrances to both restrooms were situated behind a door. As the door shut behind John, he noted that he could no longer hear the radio. He didn't think much of it at the time. After all, his cubicle was a bit of a distance away, and it's not like he would have noticed how soundproof this door was at any other time. He finished up and headed back out, only to discover that the office was completely silent. No music echoing down the corridor anymore. I could feel the fear rising in me, but I tried to reason it all out, he says. Maybe the radio's battery died, he thought to himself. Returning to his cubicle, however, he learned that it wasn't as simple as that. The radio had been switched off. John switched it back on and sure enough, it worked fine. So maybe there was someone else in the office. He took a moment to psych himself up, then stood up and for the first time that night, looked around at the other cubicles. No one. No glow from any other computers, not even any sound of movement. My options for a logical explanation were disappearing pretty quickly, he says with another chuckle, though this one's clearly tinged with unease. John admits that he probably should have left at this point, but slightly sheepishly, he says that he couldn't bring himself to leave without at least checking his emails first. So he tried calling out to see if there was someone else in the office who happened to be working really, really quietly. Anyone out there? He yelled, his voice more strained than he hoped. No response. The silence was starting to make him feel oddly claustrophobic, like it had him trapped. And as he skimmed through his emails, he gave the security guards a call to ask if anyone had come by and switched off his radio. They sounded confused and just a little worried. No one had come up to his floor at all. Keeping his voice as steady as he could, he thanked them, hung up the phone, 
and shut his computer down. He then switched his radio back off and made his way to the lift. But just as the lift door opened, however, he heard the click of his radio being switched on. Instead of music, it was tuned to static. Static echoed down the long corridor. Static that screamed at him. In that noise, he could have sworn he heard a voice. No, not a voice, but a discordant collection of voices in different languages. They all growled the same thing. Leave. I didn't even head for the car park, just because I didn't want to be alone any longer than I needed to be, John tells me. Instead, he jogged over to Clark Key, where he hailed a cab to take him back home. Oddly enough, he found that he wasn't gripped by that same terror the next day at his event. He told a couple of colleagues what had happened and received either one of two responses. Some of them looked deeply affected, swearing to never work late again no matter what. Others were almost desperate to brush it off and reason it away. I still keep in contact with lots of the people who were affected by the story, he says, with a smile that speaks volumes. John tells me, that the reason his fear dissipated overnight seemed obvious to him immediately. Those voices weren't a warning, he says. At least, not totally. He thinks that while the spirits certainly wanted the building to themselves at that hour, they also were expressing concern for him. He realizes that he's probably projecting his own feelings onto the situation. Feelings he was already harboring at the time. But I'm happier now, he says. So, really what difference does it make? I smile and tell him that I can't and honestly won't argue with that logic. If you want to discover more of Southeast Asia's other side, subscribe now and follow us on social media. You can also be one of our supporters on Patreon. Look for We Are Hantu or click the links in the description. Ghost Maps is a Hantu production created by Kyle Ong and Wayne Ray with art direction by Jolene Lim and recorded on Audio-Technica Mics.